What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. Today's guest is Chloe Johnson. She's the president of the Out Foundation. And we have a deep dive conversation into what it means to be LGBTQ plus in the fitness environment. I have a lot of questions about this kind of stuff. The truth is I don't really know very much about what it means to live a life that is anything but being a straight white dude. Truth. And my interest is to gain as much awareness to what's going on in other people's experiences coming into the gym because, frankly, I want to create gyms where everybody feels like they can walk in that are also financially successful for the person operating it. And my conversation with Chloe today walks that line. We don't just talk about how to make it more welcoming for people who identify different sexually and from a gender perspective. We talk about the ROI on doing it in the way that she describes. I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation, so I'm going to get you right to it. Chloe Johnson, everybody. Active Lifers, good news for you today. Bulletproof is back. Due to popular demand, we have brought back our body part specific training programs. The Active Life team of doctors and coaches have developed four programs for you to choose from back, shoulders, legs, and total body. Kiss your aches and pains goodbye and finally feel great again. Check out the link in show notes for all of the details. Chloe Johnson. Welcome to the Active Life Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure for having you. It's funny, I told you uh, in our pre-interview conversation that you're one of the people who travels in the circles that orbit the circles that I travel in, where I feel like we know a lot of the same people. Your name has come up a Mm -hmm. bunch of times, uh, Mm -hmm. and we've never met, so here we are. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Would you mind providing a little bit of... uh, background information for the audience as to how you became Chloe Johnson, the known entity in the fitness landscape that you are today. So that when we get into the questions I'm asking you, everybody understands the personal experience that you're coming from when you answer them. Yes. I will give you the, the, the shortest answer to that is um, I am a trans woman and I had transitioned when I was 15 years old So for the majority of my adult life up until my late 20s, I had lived as what we call self, which means you didn't acknowledge your trans status and you didn't really talk about it. You just went on living life as a cisgender female, essentially. Um, So I did that. I found fitness later in life after I had gone through drug and alcohol recovery and I was making that, you know, mental, physical, whole body wellness journey. And that had brought me to CrossFit at in my later 20s. And whether people know it was me or not, I very publicly brought a lawsuit to to their front door because they wouldn't let me compete as a woman. They said I had to compete as a man. So that was like 2014-ish. And since then, I have just been an advocate and I would say frontline fighter, which feels weird to say, but it is the truth, for trans and queer inclusion in all fitness spaces. And now I guess that's like all spaces, but 
And and, boop, boop. and are you president of the Alp Foundation? I am president of the board. Yes, correct. And what what is the Alp Foundation uh, exist to do? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, that was have, that was not a canned <laughs> question. I just I, I'm, I'm curious. I love it. I love it. I get all excited. Um, we do many things. So first, it started off as just a queer club a little over ten years ago in New York, where the founder would get together queer people in a safe space to work out once a week. And then it slowly evolved, not so slowly, I guess, but slowly evolved into more and more people coming, taking donations, taking that money and giving them to other community nonprofits. Um, And it turned into this whole initiative, which it used to be called Outwad. And I think a lot of people still call it Outwad. But now after... mm, what is it, our blank year of 2019? Mm-hmm. We know, you know, all the things went down in 2019 and 2020. So uh, we are, we rebranded to Out Athletics to encompass all things because we're not just in the CrossFit space anymore. And we do a lot. We educate people on what it means to have queer people in fitness spaces. We help facilitate breaking down the barriers for queer people getting into fitness spaces and over this last year we have moved into health and like full body health and wellness so uh doctors mental health um mental health we got grants for our athletes which we also sponsor athletes to get three months of why am i drawing a blank therapy talk therapy Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I could talk about the foundation for well, um, a while. You you said a you said a bunch of things that, frankly, I would love to discuss with you. I, I don't know that I want to discuss all of them with you on this show because, for the context of the show, they don't they're they're, they're just they're tangential to what I want to be able to accomplish today, which is help people understand and myself understand. I have a lot of questions about. What is what does it even mean to create a safe space for a queer person to work out? Don't you just open a gym and treat people like people? <clears throat> and and I, I know that there's a, a a lot to talk about around that, and that's yeah. what I want to focus mm-hmm. on. Um, I do want to touch on the lawsuit for a moment yeah. because you brought it up. How did the lawsuit end up? Well, funny you should ask. I can't tell you. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that means we we all know there was some compromise somewhere. And that's, I that's essentially could not go on any longer and had to. Right. I get it. I understand. You don't hope have, someone else, someone else picked up the torch and carried on the fight. So I understand. Um, I have, so, Oh man, if we were at a coffee shop together, we could have a we'd really interesting conversation. Yeah, we would be our old day and we'd be high on coffee, but we would be having interesting conversation around um, transgenderism in sport female transgender competing against female transgender. I have so many questions and so much interest in discussing that with somebody. Mm-hmm. Just not on this forum. I want to discuss Cute. the gym on here. Cute. So um, talk to me about what that means, a safe space to work out. Because when I think about walking into a gym, I am aware that um, if there is anybody in the world who is going to feel comfortable walking into a gym anywhere, it's me. I'm a white guy with a background in exercise science, a decade of gym ownership, and I've worked with professional athletes in my clinic. So I'm not intimidated to walk into any gym. I don't feel uncomfortable in any gym. 
And I don't know how much of that is because of any of those factors. So I'm curious as to what the experience is like for somebody who is not any of those things walking into a gym. It's a big answer, right? Because you have to try and take into account everyone. And if you are not a, a presenting masculine figure, specifically a white masculine figure, there's so many aspects of the gym that can be very intimidating, especially just walking in the door. Um, as queer people, we are not typically socially accepted in a lot of places. Um, that's why like in San Francisco, you'll find the Castro and, you know, uh, West LA or West Hollywood. Um, queer people tend to gather together. And I don't know if that's like safety in numbers or what, but um most gym spaces are geared towards men, right? Um, or people that know what they're doing. And a lot of people walking into the gym don't know what they're doing. So, so a qu- I have two questions for you uh, on the answer that you just gave. The first yeah. question is, um, how is it different for somebody who is queer, because I'm, I'm going to stay just on the topic of you. We don't need to talk about how it's different for a black person, how it's different for anybody else. How is it different for a queer person than it would be for somebody who is straight? Dude, what is different when they're greeted there? I'm going to speak for myself because through my like lived experience, I don't like to generalize for other people. That's all, uh, I, want. For, That's all I would ask. Yeah, for... And then to take into account, like I said in the beginning, I did transition when I was 15. So I have no life experience really as a male. I'm 15, you're still a child, essentially, right? So but, my all of my adult life has been as a did trans you, woman. Did you transition surgically at 15? No. So that that's... Well, that- physically, yes. I did not have gender affirmation surgery at 15. Okay. So when you were 15, it was, you were still, you still had male body parts and you were mm-hmm. presenting yourself in a more feminine way. I'm, I'm trying to understand what that means in terms of. Yes. I was on hormone therapy. I was seen a psychologist. I was under the care of a doctor, uh, started at 15 and then by 16, uh, my legal documentation had been changed to female. So I was Female, as far as the government and everyone else was concerned. Okay. But still a trans woman. Okay. And so how did, how did that change? I mean, you can't speak for what it was like for a straight man to walk into a gym who was 21 years old, but you can speak for what it was like for a, a transgender woman to walk into a gym when you were 20 years old. What, what was, what do you, th- what was that like? Let's just start there instead of telling me what it was like compared to. Yeah. I just, it was a very intimidating experience. First, you're trying to, um, navigate your own body right and then you're coming into this space that's primarily male dominated and you don't know how someone is going to accept your truth so immediately you're kind of just blocked off or i would felt blocked off you know this was in my mid mid 20s when i started working out um because you don't want to be judged, right? You just want this person, if you have a personal trainer, to help you because that's their job. Mm-hmm. Not to judge you on your personal life experiences. 
um, there isn't a lot of queer representation, outward queer representation in gyms, uh, CrossFit spaces, you know, I'll talk about, we'll have a lot of affiliate flags or the American flag or, you know, the rogue flag, but you don't necessarily see a queer flag anywhere. Right. So you don't know how you're going to be perceived in this somewhat intimate space because CrossFit gyms tend to be smaller size classes, right? Mm -hmm. 10 to 30 people. Yeah. So how much do you think of what you're talking about here is this is, this is a legitimate concern that when you walk into any gym, it's likely that you're going to be judged for the way that you appear or for the way that you, Uh that you identify as compared to everywhere else that you've been that's what you're getting. And so the expectation is walking into the gym. That's what you're going to get also. And I'm asking because when I owned a gym, um, three of them, we never flew a pride flag. We had plenty of different sexual, uh, orientations come through the gym. No trans Uh straightforward. We Uh had, we had no trans come through, but we had straight, we had gay, we had all different, I guess just those two that I can think of. So not all different, but those two that I knew of coming to the gym. And I don't believe, although I could be wrong that anybody felt as though they were unwelcome. Where are you? Where are you located? Well, that's what I was going to ask next is, am I living in a bubble in Long Island? You could be. So it is also geographical. We on the four, let me start over. It is also geographical on our website of the out foundation. We have an inclusion map which are gyms that have been verified as inclusive all over the country to let people know they're like, if you're in Oklahoma, this is a, is an inclusive gym you can go to. So it is situational, right? And a lot of people can feel discriminated against and hear discrimination while they're working out, depending on where they are. Um, Reno, I'm in Reno, for example, not the most open-minded place there is, but when I back home in Silicon Valley, I didn't feel much prejudice at all, but here it's a little bit different. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say there is it could be anywhere. It's more likely to be in some places than it is in other places. And based on where Mm -hmm. I have grown Mm -hmm. up and where I have frequented, it's less likely that I would be exposed to what it is that you're talking about on a regular basis. It could be. And if I could back up like two in two minutes. Yeah. Um, when we talk about trans people, say trans person or trans woman or trans man. Okay. Um, don't just say like trans or a trans. Um, just correct. No, I appreciate it. Um, verbiage. And you had said no trans, I'll say no trans people had to come into your gym. But we should all be aware as, as human beings, no trans people that you know of. Okay. Right? Because... For me, like I had said earlier, until I was in my late 30s, I lived under the radar. I didn't talk about it. And a lot of my friends, like CrossFit friends, didn't know. They actually didn't even know until there was like the public outing. Mm -hmm. So we do come across trans people in our everyday life. We just don't always know about it. That's interesting. So Mm -hmm. if if I, as a gym owner, I'm only going to use my own personal experience. Cause I'm not going to project that everybody else does things the same way or thinks the same way. Mm-hmm. If I, as a gym owner treated every person who walked in the gym as a gym member and said, 
what brought you in today? And they told me, and then we designed what we thought was the best experience for the thing that they told us brought them in on a regular basis. What, if anything, am I missing as far as my responsibility to make sure that I'm welcoming to somebody who is a transgender person? And did I get it right that time? I, I tried writing yes. down. Just, okay. Nailed it. You, yeah. you nailed it. You nailed it. It was okay. great. Um, so like I had said earlier about the flag, right? We might just think it's a flag, but it is a symbol to a person that they are, will be comfortable or allowed to speak to the, the host, the gym owner, the coach. This signifies that it's a safe space. Okay. So depending if you're non-binary, transgender, or anywhere like on that spectrum, body mechanics can be a little bit different for you. And what you can do with a barbell, a wall ball, anything can be different for you depending on where you are in your transition. How? I'm so glad you asked. Um, so a trans man, maybe that hasn't had top surgery, will have to wear a thing called a binder. So if a trans man has breast tissue, they essentially gauze themselves down. I mean, there's different devices. Like um, you can wear a really, really, really tight sports bra. But what they do is they essentially bind themselves around to get their chest as flat as possible. Right. So you could have an A cup, you could have a D cup, but you're still trying to compress all that. So when that is all compressed down around you and held really tight, it affects your upper body mobility. And it also affects your breathing because you're bound down. Mm -hmm. So if that person isn't comfortable with their coaches or the owner to tell them their situation, that's something already that that gym owner doesn't know, or that coach doesn't know about that person that can affect their health while working out. How does the, well, one of the things that we would ask gym owners we work with and coaches we work with to do is before you put somebody into a class, make sure that you put them through a thorough movement assessment to identify what is going to be comfortable, what is going to be uncomfortable and what is going to be injurious. I would hope that that would pick it up if we saw that there was a movement limitation. Now all of a sudden we're asking somebody to do something that they don't have. To what degree is it appropriate for a gym owner to start asking questions around how this affects the way that you are able to move in the gym or the way that you would like to be addressed? Let's just go with that question and then we can, we can ask the next one after that. I would say that it is never appropriate unless they've already sparked the dialogue with you and you've established that those kind of questions can be asked. Um, so then how does, the, how does the gym owner or the coach know then? Because it feels to me like we're in a paradoxical situation where we're supposed to be able to identify that there's a uh, – what did you call it? I forget what this – a binder and you don't have to identify it. But what I'm saying is, is that we need to create the culture where people are comfortable talking about it with the person that's supposed to be giving us Absolutely. coaching tips on our physical wellness. And, yeah. how, and how does the coach create that culture? How does the coach create that environment outside of, for example, a flag? I know that that's one way that they can do it. What else can they do? And the, the reason I say besides the flag is while I'm not opposed to putting that flag up so that people know that we're a safe place to be, it then leads me to thinking, because full disclosure, I was a gym owner who the only flag we flew was the American flag. And, and mm -hmm. actually, we, when I hired some coaches, they felt strongly we should have military flags. So fine. We put those in too. Um, for me, it was every flag that we fly that's not American is kind of exclusionary 
if we don't have the flag that represents the other group, right? So if we had, for example, a, a blue lives matter flag, I wouldn't fly it. Not because I don't support police. We had 10% of the local police department in our gym, but because Mm -hmm. I didn't want, now I have to hang a queer flag. Then I have to hang a Jewish flag. Then I have to hang every group. I feel like at least that is marginalized in any way in society to make sure that they're included in my flags. Uh-huh. I'm curious I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I mean, first of all, I'm curious of why like you would be opposed to that. Because I would uh, good question. I don't want to leave somebody out and I don't know who has a like I, frankly, I don't know who has a flag and who doesn't have a flag. I'm I'm Jewish. I've walked into places in the past and been concerned about if they knew would it be okay for sure. Mm-hmm. And so I, mm-hmm. I I I I think I know some semblance of what it may feel like. I, and I definitely think if they had like a Jewish flag up, I'd be like, Oh, okay. They totally are going to be yeah. cool with me here. The other side of that though, is I try to avoid making the assumption that I'm not welcome until it's shown to me that I'm not welcome. Uh, yes. I, I, I understand that. But I would literally just come back with say, why is why are you opposed to showing inclusion? I wouldn't be. It, it, it would be the question of, um, especially today. I feel like it's difficult. There's a lot of eggshells to walk on where we mm-hmm. have to avoid including people the wrong way, and that's that's difficult. You know, it's okay. Mm-hmm. So we have, I have to almost like I have to run a checklist. Do I have a flag to include all of the people in the world? I don't. I don't know if I missed my. XYZ flag. Do we need one of those? And it just becomes another thing to think about in the gym that I, 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 w- I would like to think there's another way to provide that inclusive environment. Yeah. Okay. So we could start going down that rabbit hole, but I always suggest that a flag or the sticker is the first way to go just because it's the ultimate of like, Hey, you are welcome here. You want to welcome, you are fine showing the flags for, what'd you say? The army? Marines, what it was. Yeah, the military branches. Right. So if you're fine showing that, I mean, it kind of takes away your argument for 100%, not wanting to hang the other stuff. 100%. Right? So, yes. So egg on your face kind of for that. I'm just going to say that. But <laughs> be, you know, like you're from a marginalized community, right? Marginalized in a different way than mm-hmm. the queer community. But history shows that the queer community is not welcome in all spaces and Mm -hmm. it's still not welcome in all spaces. So it's just the simple gesture. But when we get into it further, if you're in any kind of functional fitness gym, I'll just Mm -hmm. generalize there. Most things are binary. Okay. Men's bar, women's uh, women's bar. Yep. Uh, What's the standard men's weight? What's the standard women's weight? Um, A lot of times small gyms only have a single not even a stall, just a single, single facility restroom, one women's, one men's. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, binary, even though it's a closed door no one else can come in. Mm -hmm. So when we have that kind of a structure, we're showing anyone that wasn't born onto that structure that they need to find a way to fit into one of those things to feel accepted in that gym. If we have nothing else to show them that they're accepted in that gym. That's, that's reasonable. So, so what you're saying there is, for example, we had two bathrooms in the gym. This was a total, um, 
I believe, success to what you're describing by accident. Because we had 200 members in two bathrooms, we just had two bathrooms. It wasn't, this is the men's room and this is the ladies' room. It was, if you got to piss before the class, pick an open toilet and do it. Right. And then get back in here. What we were not thinking about, um, how do we make sure this is inclusive for all genders and, and all sexual preferences? That was not in our thought pattern, but that's what you're describing as being one of the ways that it can be demonstrated that this is a safe place for people to come. 100%. And then what did gyms, what do bigger gyms do about things like their locker rooms, for example? And I would love to provide some color before, before you answer. Um, they typically will have men's locker rooms and women's locker rooms. And I've had surface level discussions with, with people who frankly don't have any more experience being a transgender person than I do. Um, which is none about the, the conflict that exists for people who are not transgender people with there being, um, no, how do I describe it? With, with there being people who are able to go into either bath in either, either locker room who were not, I guess, com- completely like had, had had their surgeries. I, I don't know what the right way to say it is, but I think you know where I'm going with it. It's, the discomfort that people may have with, I think more so a transgender woman being in the woman's bathroom who has not gone through transgender surgery or reassignment surgery. Yes. Old terminology. So we've moved on to gender affirmation. Surgery. I'll, write, I'll write that one down. Take, take notes. Take notes. <laughs> also, I, by the way, I, I, I appreciate you correcting me and, and giving me the space to say the wrong thing without. No, we all need that. Okay. We all need that, no matter like what we're talking about or doing in life. Um, I'm a big fan of saying I don't know, or can you explain? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot in this world I don't know. Well, that's what I just, um, mumbled, that, I just mumbled through that. The, the, <laughs> our, that verbiage has changed for me, I think, three or four times over the course of 26 years, almost 27 years now. So, you know, it's also constantly growing and adapting for me. And sometimes I don't agree with the changes, but I just go with it for the go to the cause, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you're asking is, and I don't know if I have this correct because it was kind of fumbled. Oh, yeah. But you had a conversation with another... So what, what I'm saying is... gendered person, and you guys, with your heads together, were trying to figure out what the comfort level would be of a trans woman in a woman's locker room where there was no... No, let me do it again. Like, Okay. Let yeah, me let me do it ahead. again, and let me, just, let, let me just be as straightforward as possible. Um, yeah. What is the what is the level of appropriateness of a transgender woman who still has a penis being in the women's locker room naked in a gym? How does a gym handle that situation? Well, I mean, it's not not appropriate if that person identifies as female and it's like female outward appearing mm-hmm. same other way right um you're asking what the gym can do to make that person more comfortable yeah, or it's, you're asking it's, it's both if that person's going to be comfortable it's how can the gym serve the the full mission of what it's trying to do which is make the gym inclusive for that person and comfortable for yep. the people who are not that person at the same time without saying you need to develop a more mature mindset around how this goes. Because I can see legitimate points like people saying, I don't want my kids 
being exposed to that until I've had a chance to talk to them about that, for example. Mm-hmm. Then talk to your kids about it. Right. At, at what age? Whatever age you start talking to your children about real life stuff, you tell your kids not to take candy from strangers and get into people's cars and you expect them to comprehend that, right? I mean, these are just conversations we should have. Why is it off topic? I, why are we scared to I'll tell why you are why. we scared to have a conversation? I'll tell you why that would be off topic. Or I don't know if off topic's the right way, but why that wouldn't be something natural that comes up for me in a conversation, for example, with my two, four, six year old. Um, it's something that they're unlikely to see day in and day out because I'm not bringing them into a locker room day in and day out. Uh, And even if I was, the likelihood of that experience happening in the locker room is still very low today where, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and they're very unlikely to die from it. Like extremely unlikely to die from it (laughs) where them getting into a stranger's car is something that is um, a necessary conversation. If they're going to stay outside in the front of the house without me being out there. Right. And as a, as a human being, I would say this is just a ne- necessary conversation to have with children. I mean, there's all different walks of life, right? We talk about why people have different skin colors. We talk about why people speak different languages. I, I would assume we talk about why some couples are same sex. You know, it's just part of life and part of growing up. And the more that we don't talk about stuff, the more it's, it, society makes it inappropriate to talk about because mm-hmm. we don't talk about it and you yourself just said that the chances of them experience this are super slim so why is that even a concern for for us great if question we're already acknowledging that the chances are slim that this is going to be a possibility mm-hmm. why are we making such a big deal out of it I'm so ha- i say can i answer that go ahead go ahead yeah um, i'm just gonna keep going <laughs> I, I, i'm speaking for not for i'm speaking as if i was a gym owner what do i do yeah. Right, like I'm, I'm in a situation where I'm setting up a brand new gym. Do I not have men's locker rooms and women's locker rooms? Do I have just changing rooms where the door opens and the door closes? What, what is how? What do I do? And if I already have a gym that has two locker rooms like that, and I decide I want to do something to be more inclusive, what do I do? Not, not, not so that I can tell them that this is what they should all do, but so that people can at least have the information to make a decision for themselves as to whether it's something that they want to prioritize doing. Perfect. And this is great, right? Because we don't want to generalize anything and there's no hard and fast rule mm-hmm. for any of this stuff. It's just a conversation and we're always still growing. If you have the room to build out and you're building it to your specs, in your dressing room, you can have partitions right? Like you're in a dressing room in Ross or in a dressing room in Macy's, you can have like partitioned areas where people, if they need to feel modest about for whatever reason, they can go into the partition, pull the curtain, change and be done with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have to make it a bigger thing than it is. And what if they don't have the room to build out? And we're, we just have like an open space, you're saying? Well, like I'm, like I'm talking about like, like one of the gyms that we work with, for example, is 75,000 square feet. And mm-hmm. it might seem like, well, then they definitely have the room. They have less room to do things than most gyms that we work with that are 4,000 square feet because of how they've already utilized all 75,000 square feet. And they have male locker room, female locker room. What do they do if they want to create, I'm asking selfishly as somebody who, con, you know, who, who works with this gym, and many others like them. 
what do they do to create inclusive space that is not building out new locker rooms? Right. So I'm asking you, are we talking about a locker room setup that you walk in and it's just an open space with like maybe a couple toilets in there with yes. doors, but it's just an open space. Exactly right. See if you can get a partition put in there somehow, right? Like set up a little partition. Do you have another room that you can convert into a gender neutral uh, changing room? What do you think? Is there another space? Whether it should be done or not. I think that business owners around the world are going to make decisions thinking about dollars. And what do you, Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes it's appropriate and I think that sometimes it's inappropriate. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think the financial ROI could be for somebody if they did that? In other words, is there a a volume of people who would be like, oh shit, I'm going to that gym now because they did that. I didn't even know that they were thinking about doing that. I'm comfortable going there. They talked about it in public. Hell yeah. Yeah. ROI positive for the gym. Is that a thing or are they looking to create a safer feeling environment for 10 out of 10,000 members? I mean, I'm always going to default to say, why the hell not be inclusive, right? Why don't you just build an inclusive space? But I mean, you could just break this down. Even if you're going to take inclusivity out of it, you can like go from modest to not modest. Not everyone's comfortable walking into a, a locker room and stripping down all their clothes and changing without somewhere where they can keep a towel over them or change where no one's looking because maybe they're not comfortable with their bodies, right? So mm-hmm. if we're thinking on a large spectrum and you want to make as many people in your gym as comfortable as, as, comfortable mm-hmm. as possible – why wouldn't you take that into consider into consideration in the first place? Well, I think that's a reasonable perspective to have. The idea that you're probably going to satisfy a larger group of people than only the transgender people in your gym mm-hmm. by creating privacy, right? I think that I think that that's a reasonable to, thing to think. So, I guess that what are your thoughts then on it? May be a better position for the queer community to take that this is ROI positive for your gym for more reasons than just you're going to make it comfortable for the, the one. And I don't know what the ratio is people Mm -hmm. to be comfortable in your gym. Is that a question? Yeah. Does it dilute the message? Like does it dilute what you're trying to do or does it get what you're trying to do done in a way that maybe is a different way to talk about it? I will say it gets the job done. Mm -hmm. It gets the job done. I mean, maybe not to the same point, but I do understand that not every gym has the financial capability to change things around or even the space. Right. So we're always just trying to put our heads together with spaces and people that are willing to change their spaces to come up with the best solution that they have, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't, there's not like a hard yes or no answer for this. There isn't. No, I get it. And that's why I want one hard solution. And I think it's just if people being willing to have the conversations and then to put some action into it, collect some data, see what's not, what's not working, what is working. Well, I can say we'll find a solution. I can say I've been in a lot of locker rooms, a lot of locker rooms and even the biggest 
most well-appointed locker room typically has more square footage available per person than maybe the rest of the gym floor based on how many people are in it at a time. And I think if, if I was opening a gym from scratch, I do believe I would have lockers to keep your stuff and change rooms to get naked, change into your clothes, whatever, whatever you need to do in there. And then you wouldn't have to deal with this from a binary perspective, but I think I would be doing it because I think that the financial ROI is better than having male, female taking up all of this space for six, seven people to be in there at a time during peak hour. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I was in this gym. I just real quick. I was in a gym in San Francisco and you know, already you're assuming San Francisco is inclusive. They do everything they can for the queer community, but they just manage their space fairly well. They had two large bathrooms, but were, they were just one person bathrooms. But instead of changing anything to that, they had two sets of stairs in their building and they were able to facilitate changing rooms under the stairs. So they just made, you know, genderless changing rooms under the stairs and everyone uses them. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it was kind of like a cute solution, right? Like they had the space, they knew they needed to do something mm-hmm. and they just figured it out. So, I mean, there are answers. It's just not always easy. No, I think it's, but I, I appreciate you having a discussion with me about it because it's one of those things where when you're running a business, economics does come into it. And I think that always, it, 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 always. Would, it would be nice if everybody had enough money to be like, I'm just going to be the best fucking person in the world. And I'm going to do everything for everybody as much as I can. That would be amazing if we could all do it would, that. Wouldn't it? Yes. The, I, I, I think that my personal opinion, and I'm, I'm happy to have you tell me that I'm crazy, is that if we want to be able to help a community that feels um, minimized or, or I don't know what the right word is. I, I lost it there for a second to feel marginalized. more welcome, marginalized. Thank you. Um, to feel more welcome. We should be thinking about solutions that take into consideration the pocketbook of the person who we're asking to, to make these changes. And I think that we could get more change in general if the considerations were, look, don't do it for me. Do it because it's going to make you more money. And it, by the way, it's also going to work for me. Do you follow mm-hmm. me on that? I, I think that most gym mm-hmm. owners do the calculus and they say, okay, so if there's one in a thousand people are identifying as a transgendered person, I'm just going to not worry about getting that one in a thousand because I'm only looking for 20 out of every hundred to even think I'm an interesting business, two out of every 10, which means I'm really, this is a non-issue for me from a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. Do you follow me? Mm-hmm. And it might sound callous. So no, right. But then sometimes it becomes moral at that point, right? Like mm-hmm. what makes you feel good as a business owner? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, Are you going to harbor? I, I mean, I understand both sides. Like I understand what you're saying, but then I'm just going to always argue why not be inclusive, right? Why not do something? And I know that, locker rooms are like a big thing and bathrooms are a big thing. But I will tell you from my own personal experience, like pre-op and post-op, I was never worried about anyone else in the dressing room. I was worried about me or in the locker room, whatever the situation. Right. And I was trying to minimize my own discomfort. Um, 
I would just use the bathroom and like shut the door if I had to change, mm-hmm. right? I would just shut the door and change in the stall, right? So we could make bigger stalls. But there's more you can do in your gym just besides the locker room. And I know like I, don't, I was saying earlier about like the gendered um, bars, the gendered equipment. When I first started in CrossFit, our gym didn't have uh, 35 pound bars. So we all used 45 pound bars. Can I give some context to people who don't necessarily go to a CrossFit gym, what you're talking about? Yes, please do it. So, um, if you, if you walk into a CrossFit gym, typically there's going to be a workout written on the board and there's going to be what's called an RX, which is a recommended or prescribed weight for men and for women rep scheme for men and for women. Typically they're the same and there's going to be equipment barbells, especially, um, where they are a little bit thicker in diameter for men and they're 45 pounds and a little bit thinner in diameter for women. And they're typically 33 pounds. And the difference there is when you write a workout, typically women go grab the women's bars and men go grab the men's bars. And now we're talking about something that people understand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so when we're creating that binary space, like I said earlier, you're, essentially forcing people to go one direction or the other. But when I started, we only had the 45 pound bar. So I learned to do everything on the 45 pound bar. And I still use the 45 pound bar for deadlifting and squatting. Cause the math is easier. Let's be real. That two pounds, yeah. not having to do 33. Um, do you have, to, do you have one pound plates floating around anywhere? Most people don't. I do. I do I'm even sure. it out because I'm like a cuckoo nut in my head about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the recommended weights, right? I understand, but I still disagree. I don't think that it should be binary as into male and female. I think there should just be a spectrum on the board, you know, or low and high. Well, I think somewhere in between, this is something that I think when I was a gym owner, I made a mistake on. And when I was a gym owner, we always had the RX weight and we did always have a men's weight and a women's weight. And as Mm -hmm. I've started consulting with gyms after I got out of my own, um, I've come to realize that I actually believe that having a recommended weight is something that leads people to injury, leads people to overextending themselves and leads people to feeling as though they are less than if they can't do it. It kind of reminds me of the movie Dazed and Confused when Matthew McConaughey is like, you know, you got any weed? Never like, saw it. No? Oh, well, I a, like the weed, but I never saw the movie. There's a, well, there's a famous line where he's like, it'd be a whole lot cooler if you did. And and that's how I always think about when it's like, oh, can you do pull-ups? No. And it's like, okay. The coach then says, well, you can modify like this. But what they're really thinking is, it'll be a whole lot cooler if you could. And that's what the person is thinking. I can see that. So, um... What I find interesting there is I do think that there's a place for the weight and for a men's weight and for a women's weight when it's in competition, men mm-hmm. men against men, women against women, and there need to be standards for competition. I think when you bring that into the gym, it leads to a, a change in what we're actually trying to achieve. And I don't see a reason to not just have, here are various barbells, grab what you please, use a weight that feels like an RPE of seven out of 10 as a reminder, here's what seven out of 10 means. Right. Yeah. I think it would make everything a lot easier across the board for general pop, as well as anyone in the queer trans non-binary community. Uh, 
Um, because we set standards, right? We set standards that if you're identifying as male, you should be able to do X, Y, and Z. And if you're identifying as female, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. And I, even with gen pop, no one falls into those same, those categories all the time. I had too many female clients who were much stronger than me to think that that makes any sense. In other words, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not showing up to do a workout at the same weight that Brooke Wells is doing it or that Brooke Entz is doing it or that Samantha Briggs is doing it or that who is not me. I'm like, no, thanks. I'm going to do less reps, less weight and probably for less time. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm just not interested. It's going to be more anything. time, right? It's going to take you longer to do less. It depends on if we're doing the same number of reps. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a funny story there. I was, I was at a uh, rich Froning's garage back when he was working with us in like 2017. And he, you know, we, we work out all day, all day. And I'm, I'm like the least fit of the fit guys in my gym. That's where I kind of placed myself. And I'm exhausted. End of the day, he's like, let's do a workout. We go to the garage. It's an absurd workout with sandbags and bench press. And the sandbag weighs exactly what I weigh at the time. And I'm like, I don't think I can do that. He's like, what do you weigh? I'm like, 155. And he's like, it'll be all right. He finished his workout, partnered with Lindy Barber in like 14 minutes. And me and my partner, who was a regionals athlete, uh, who carried me in the workout, took 48. Uh Uh-huh. Like Lindy was home, yeah. showered, and in bed before we were done. So yeah, it's, yeah, I, we modifying that is perfectly fine by me. I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, back to what we were talking about. What it's what it's sounding like to me is really that the the things that make a gym inclusive for transgendered people, queer people, um, non-binary people are really just things that make gyms inclusive for people. It's novel, right? When you break it down like that, it's well, it is. But I'm, I'm it, it, it it's, is. it's revelatory for me because the things that you're describing outside of the the locker room situation, because we really haven't had that discussion, it hasn't been relevant for anybody. Everything that you're describing is kind of the stuff that we talk about, but we never do it in the context of you might have a LGBTQ plus person walk into the gym. It's never come up in a conversation for us with a member, with a client, I should say but we're telling them to do these things for the purposes of that person is going to feel less than if they can't do the required weight. That person is going to feel like they're modifying again. They must be a burden on you. Stop making it that this doing it like this is on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. It, it really does make it just easier for everyone involved in the gym situation. So then when it comes to uh, last week, I believe when this comes out, it will have been last week. We had Athena Perez on the podcast. I don't know if you know who Athena Perez is. But she speaks about how to make gyms more inclusive for large-bodied people. The idea that the way that you would put them through an assessment should be different. The way that you would ask them questions on their intake would be different, but maybe should be the way you ask everybody questions on their intake. You know, it's, it's not, mm-hmm. so are you here to lose weight? It's, what brought you into the gym today? And so it really it was it was very similar in that it just made it inclusive for everybody. And my question to you around that, I guess, becomes um, how does a gym market itself in such a way that you know, looking at it from the outside in, because I know that typically it's not park in the lot, walk up to the door, is there a flag, is there a sticker, I can go in. It's you you decide before. How does a gym market itself in a way that lets you know that you're welcome? 
You mean like online? Yes. You just say it. You have a freaking pride flag somewhere on your website and under the contact us form, you, you make a statement about inclusivity. If your mission statement is on your website, have something about all body inclusive, inclusive word <laughs> inclusivity okay. on your website. I mean, it's that easy, right? You just have to change your verbiage as if people are really willing to make those changes for their business. Do you think this applies for online businesses also? I'm thinking about our website right now. I'm thinking about it selfishly. We don't have anywhere on it that we're inclusive of all genders and all sexual preferences and all races and all body sizes. Um, frankly, because I never thought that it was necessary. Right? If I'm being honest, I never thought it was necessary to say it. I felt like it was, why would you assume I'm not? Do you... I, I don't know what your online business entails exactly, but do you have anything? Do you have forms like weekly check-ins? Is there stuff that's designated just for men and just for women? Is there questions that talk about a women's ovulation cycle? Anything like that? Is there, do you have anything like that in your business model? Um, we might, when it comes to the one-on-one -on -one coaching client, meaning when mm -hmm. someone's coming to us for one-on-one -on -one support, and that would be, I think the only place where we do it. Otherwise we're working with, we're consulting with gyms and coaches and we're teaching them how to work with clients. And so when I have conversations with people like you about this stuff, it's for selfish reasons. I want to become better at working with our clients and disseminate a message that you're not going to have the conversation with every single one of them one at a time, but we can. Mm -hmm. So from my experience with my nutrition coach, the platform they use because it is like it's segregated somewhat binary. Um, there's a question on my, my weekly check-in. There was a question. I can't remember exactly what, it, how it was worded, but it was something about ovulation cycle, like whatever the question was. And I emailed them and I was like, now this is also a progressive person that owns this business. Mm -hmm. And like it had slipped past her and I messaged and I said, hey, you, just to be clear, not all females have an ovulation cycle and some male clients can have an ovulation cycle depending on where they are in their transition. Like I am female, but I don't, you know, that question does not apply to me. So they had to change the verbiage in that question so that it could still go out to everyone, but also so that it was not offensive. So we do that. Someone. We do that too. How do you do it better? I mean, like how, how do like, so, 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 so you make, somebody you make the up. correction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. well, what, no. So we didn't make the correction. We would ask a new member who identifies as female about how, if their menstrual cycle affects anything about the way that they work out, the way that they eat, the way that they sleep, the way that they feel, because we want to take into consideration making sure that we, manage the way that they train around the way that their body is changing day to day. So I believe the way they changed it, I think it just says, instead of the question asking right out, it says for clients with an ovulation cycle. That's how the Got question it. started. So automatically you're like, okay, I can just skip this. Not applicable to me. Um, you can ask that. And then well, but then, you but say then, that, 
again, again, that, that's a really good example for me. This is what I'm looking for in this podcast, and I appreciate you giving it to us. It's tactical and it's simple because a postmenopausal woman also isn't going to have an ovulation right. cycle. And again, it's, it's another example, and this is, it's really becoming more interesting to me than I thought it was going to be because it's another example of you're not necessarily being inclusive for with the mind of a single person. It's just thinking about people in general and providing them with context and language that makes them feel comfortable. Right. And you're not excluding or pointing the finger at any community when you, you know, when you word it like that. And I think that was a great solution that this company had to it. And again, when you set up things to succeed like that, it will make that client more comfortable with you. So then as that coach is working with that client more, and maybe that client is trans, a trans woman or a trans man or non-binary, it might make them open enough or feel comfortable enough to open up more, right? And start breaching that conversation and having that conversation with people. Well, I think I think that what you're speaking to there is language matters. And, and mm-hmm. if, if somebody is used to and expecting a certain type of language because it's what they've gotten in the past. And then they show up at your place and they see a different kind of language, which isn't necessarily overt. It's just very um, thoughtful. They would potentially be more comfortable to bring up conversation points that they wouldn't bring up if they didn't see that language. It's, it's, it's a welcome sign. Just like a flag. Just like a flag again. I, like, do you like how I keep bringing yeah, it? Yeah, but, 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 but let's go to the flag again because my my concern with the flag really becomes it's not about including people. It's about if I hang ten flags for ten different communities, am I leaving out the eleventh who also has a flag that I don't even know about, which is potentially just as big of a, a community as the other ones that I hung? Yeah, that, that, that's it. my concern. And and you're right when you say, but you had the military flags. You're right. Mm-hmm. That was something that at the time as a business owner, I wasn't strong enough to say, we don't need to hang these. And not because I'm opposed to the military at all, because the American flag should say all of that. That mm-hmm. that speaks for everybody who walks into this gym, who is a citizen of this country or who's living in this country. That's the only flag that we need. Um, I didn't have that as a gym owner when I was there. And that's an error in my ways. I'm talking about if I owned a gym now, again, Mm -hmm. I would hang an American flag and I don't know that I would hang any other ones. Yeah. I mean, that's your own personal struggle. Then I, I just, it is a symbol. I understand what you're saying. Like 54%. I understand it. Like I comprehend what you're saying. I comprehend Mm -hmm. what you're saying, but do I agree with it? No, because you're asking, you're having the conversation. We're having an open dialogue about inclusivity and how we can be more inclusive to people. And it is just the easiest answer. And you don't have to, you know, hang a, a five by seven flag. It can be a six by one, a six by six by 12 inch sticker somewhere, you know, but that like everyone's going to see or like on the front door. And if you don't want to put it on the front door, why are you not wanting to put it on the front door? Do you have fears that your gym is going to suffer repercussions because you are putting a pride flag on your front door? You are great. Now think about that community and think about how that community has to navigate life without knowing where they're walking into. 
I think and all they're going to be included in that space. I think all of that is reasonable. I would answer that my, my answer to that last question would be no, I'm not worried about that at all. What I would be worried about is the, why not our flag? And then it would be, my answer would have to be bring it. No problem. And, and, and I would, if I was going to hang flags again, what I would do is I would have a wall in the gym. This is what I would do if I owned a micro gym where I was hanging flags. I would have a wall in the gym and I would hang all the flags that I knew I wanted to make sure that I was being inclusive of on the wall. I would post about this wall on my social media and say, if your flag isn't represented on this wall and you want it to be, let us know and we will put your flag on this wall because that's, that's what I would, that's the only way I would know to do it. Um, I just don't know if it's something I would want to have to think about all the time where I could just do it other ways. I guess that's, that's what I'm saying. It's not that I'm opposed to the flag. It's that my concern would be the exclusion of people whose flag I didn't hang once I did decide to hang flags. Active lifers, I have good news for the fitness professionals out there. If you are ready to build a rock solid coaching and training practice, the best place to start is in the Active Life Seminar. Hosted live and online, you're going to learn our signature nine-point movement assessment system, rules for training and programming with pain, and how to make sales feel natural so much more. Check out the link in the show notes for more information. Yeah, I understand this, but again, I know, I know. Wait, I'm wait. dropping this. I'm dropping it down to 49% now. Okay, because... fine. fine. Uh, it's... I mean, this is such a bigger conversation than flags and stickers and bathrooms and, you know, how we call our barbells, men and women's. But these are just well, help me get to the bigger some solutions help me get to the things bigger, that we're talking about. Help me get to the well, bigger, bigger conversation. Well, the bigger conversation is like gender doesn't need to be binary. And why do we put so much pressure on the binary system? I think because I, it's it's the thing that my answer to you, if, if that's not a rhetorical question. It was rhetorical, okay. but I had an no, answer. No, okay, fine. <laughs> it's no longer rhetorical. Is because um, genetically, speaking only genetically, we do have two different codes. And and that when if you simplify it all the way down to that, genetic coding, we can say this is this is different than this. Now, as far as identity goes. Frankly, I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough knowledge. I haven't had enough conversations to make an educated opinion about it. And that's why I'm having conversations with people like you. When, when I was at my gym back home in Silicon Valley and I had not been out with my trans status yet, and I was comfortable. I had friends at my gym. It was a smaller gym. You know, we're talking over 10 years ago. You know how gyms were back then. Um, we were a cute little community, but I still had a fear of telling my coaches about my trans status because I had no idea where that gym sat on the queer spectrum at all. Mm -hmm. No one talked about anything queer. No one talked about gay pride. No one held pride events. You know, the community didn't rally to, um, like Silicon Valley gay pride or San Jose gay pride or San Francisco gay pride. It wasn't conversations that were being had. So even though I had transitioned when I was 15 and we're talking about, you know, 
14, 15 years later, that fear was still, fear was still there. How are they going to perceive me? Are they going to think that all of my abilities are because I was born genetically male? Are they going to hate on me for this? You know, what I'm trying to share with them that makes me really vulnerable. Like when you have nothing to base it off of, you're just kind of living in fear on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So that's why I just throw out the easy things about host an event. Let people know that you support the queer community. Put a sticker somewhere. Put a flag somewhere. Gender, take away all gender to your equipment because we know that people love to gender equipment in the CrossFit community. And if you're the gym that doesn't do that, it's probably going to spark a conversation about why you don't do that. And then you get to go down that rabbit hole and explain to people how open and diverse you are and how accepting you are of all genders and anyone on the gender spectrum. Mm-hmm. I think um, I will say, while I agree, it's a good idea to do that. I think that you take for granted a little bit your ability to market a conversation because I think that, I think that it would bring up, those conversations and where for somebody like you and probably somebody like me, we're very comfortable in that conflict in a little bit of that chaos and taking it to a grander scale and saying, this is why we had this conversation. Please feel free to draw your own conclusions about this conversation. Here was the intent behind mine. Here was the intent behind theirs. And now all of a sudden it's a flag for people to know not to bring back flags. It's a flag for people to know this is, this is a place where we feel this way. I think for a lot of people that could be a lot of conflict that they don't necessarily want to deal with. Which people? Um, just we're not pe- talking about the queer people now. We're talking about we're talking about all people because I think that there are queer people who don't like conflict either, and that's why, like you said, um, I think most I, people don't like conflict. <laughs> I know. I, I agree with you, and, and that's what I'm speaking to. I think that what you're talking about that conversation right there. Um, I'll be. You know, look. For a long time, the CrossFit community is not Jewish heavy. And I'm not Orthodox Jewish. I don't wear a yarmulke. I don't necessarily, love no one would know. Yarmulke. What's that? I said, I love me a man in a yarmulke. I'll get one for you. So you. we can take my bar mitzvah photos back up and you can let me know. Oh. Right? Um, there, I definitely had concern for a while for no reason other than my own beliefs, my own concerns, that if people knew I was Jewish, they wouldn't necessarily want to work with me. And that wasn't because anybody ever treated me wrong uh, in the community. It wasn't because I had a bad experience with a member or a bad experience with a gym owner. That was never a thing. It was just my beliefs because of other things that had happened growing up. Uh, And I think that if I was less comfortable with conflict, I still, I understand why you wouldn't talk about it at all. So I I was only speaking to the idea that I think that you're right. Drumming up a conversation like that is a great way to start the conversation more, more, more broadly about what your gym stands for. I think that you would probably do that more easily than a lot of people hearing you say to do that. That's all I've been. I I, I can see that. I mean, I wasn't always this comfortable. Like I've definitely grown into that and I'm sure you've grown in, grown into it as well. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I just, once the cat gets I, out of the bag, it's like the cat's out of the bag and yeah. it's a cat, right? So, so you either learn to love cats or 
on the wrong animal. Or you don't, or you don't. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does the Owl Foundation do for gyms who don't yet have the awareness that they're looking for, who want to be more inclusive and don't know where to start? Because th- that, that to me is, I really think that that's where this conversation uh, would be most valuable to go because people can listen to it and then the conversation's gone and they need a resource if they, if they're interested. I'm going, I'm going to our website right now. Cause I don't want to tell people to go to the wrong tab. Um, we, in 2000, when, when did Corona happen? That was t- all of 20, yeah, right? 20. 20. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. I'm all blends together. <laughs> in 2019, before all of that hit, we actually did a nationwide tour and it was called don't be an asshole tour. And we went to gyms that wanted us. So gyms invited us to come in and we had a panel of queer people that spoke to the gym and the gym invited members, coaches, anyone from the community that wanted to come to listen. And we talked about inclusivity in fitness spaces and what it means to be inclusive and verbiage to use and verbiage not to use. And we went as far as to look at their spaces and make suggestions on things that they could do like locker rooms that we spent 20 minutes talking about. Right. (laughs) Yes. It's a big deal to a lot of people. Um, so we did that. We went to many cities in the country and it was really fun to see the turnout of people and have fluid conversations because a lot of people are scared to ask questions because they don't want to use verbiage that will offend somebody. Mm-hmm. So we, we made a very open space and said, listen, don't worry about saying something wrong. Just ask your questions. Right. And so that, that was huge. Um, I would love to do that again because people had so many great questions that they were just scared to answer because they didn't want to offend anyone. hundred percent. And, and uh, I think, I think as much, they also don't want to be thought of as the person who's okay with offending somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, and that's, that's again, why believe it or not, getting somebody to come on this show who is from the LGBTQ plus community to talk about the things that we're talking about right now was probably three to four times harder than any other type of guest I tried to get on. Tell me why. I don't know. It was, it was when, when I would get into some of the things that I talked to you about already as questions that I wanted to ask, um, there was a lot of, you just don't understand. You're not tolerant. I'm not coming on your show. And I was like, okay, well, I'm, I would love to learn. That was, that was the point. But I, I guess it's not going to be with this person. And that happened a lot. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I guess I'm just not that type of person. I, for example, this doesn't really apply, but not that I agree with Trump supporters, but sometimes it's interesting to have conversations with people with different, drastically different views than me. Mm-hmm. So I can just kind of see where they're coming from. You know, I know I'm not going to change their mind, but it's nice to have a knowledge base of where someone else is coming from because I don't think that way. So conversations that can be difficult, conversations that can make me sweat, make me get red in the face, which has happened a couple of times during this conversation. Um, 
I like that kind of stuff because I think that's where you get the most character, you get the most honesty out of people and you really get to see or hear those interactions when people have to really think Mm -hmm. to try and explain to someone that doesn't want to hear what they have to say. Um, I think, I think you said something interesting about changing people's minds. And I think that most often minds aren't going to change in one conversation anyway. It's the, Uh it's the idea that a seed gets planted and then perhaps that seed continues to get researched and looked at and it grows. And then all of a sudden it could be weeks, months, years later, the idea, the thought, the belief has evolved to be something totally different. And for me on this show so far, an example of that would be, I don't think that you need to have two binary, non-binary big bat, big locker rooms, but I do believe that creating spaces that are inclusive of people of all different body shapes and sizes, people who have different levels of confidence in the way that other people look at them Uh when their clothes are off serves more than one market of people who are feeling uncomfortable Uh in the gym and would be a valuable thing to offer. So, Mm -hmm. so I think that there's value in having that kind of a conversation as well. You know, and there's other, if you want to get down into it, you know, a lot of people will say dude and bro. And if you have coaches that say dude and bro a lot, that can get uncomfortable for someone that might not be out in their trans status because they don't know. It can feel like a personal attack, say if they're a trans woman. Mm-hmm. And they can, they can feel like, oh, wait a minute. Is this person calling me out? Are they doing this just to poke at me? So here's, you know? so this is a good example that I would love to go into a little bit. We often refer to people, different level, different people on our staff have different lexicon that they use when they, when they uh, speak to a group. You know, okay, people, okay, okay, guys, all right, everybody, whatever, whatever the, the terminology that comes out of their mouth is. And we've thought about making that uniform and decided against it because we didn't want people to have to um, think too hard about things that would, let me backtrack about thinking too hard. We wanted to make sure that people who present are able to present um, as naturally as they can with the training that they've gotten while they evolve their language at the same time, instead of immediately eliminating words that are generally not offensive and, and dilute the rest of the presentation for fear of making mistakes. And we've gotten somebody who said, you know, you, you say guys a lot and I'm not a guy. And I toyed with it. Cause I'm like, well, she's, this person's right. I mean, they're not a guy and we're saying guys, the meaning of the word guy isn't, we're not thinking of it from a binary perspective. It's just, Hey, group of people that we're referring to Mm -hmm. as guys. And so I go back and forth on that. And I'm, I'm interested in your take. I mean, it's such a simple change. Hey gang, we live in a male dominant society and it just further shows you that like guys is what you refer to as a male. Why are you referring to a group of people as guys? Why? Why? That's a reasonable question. Cause, cause, cause it was just a natural term that was used when someone grew up most likely. But I was at during the pandemic, you know, most of the gyms closed and we had a, a gym at the hospital and I started, um, I had very limited capacity. I had some health stuff going on. So I was going to the hospital gym to see like some cardio and stuff, but there was one worker there that always called me dude. 
always called me dude, but he would refer to other people by their name. But he said dude to me all the time. And I am not. Did he know your name? An unedu- no, I'm not uneducated. So I figured it's because he didn't know my name, but he didn't have to call me dude. He could simply ask my name. And so this went on for about a month. And after a month, I was kind of fed up with it. And I just stopped him and I said, hey, do you call me dude because you think I'm a man? And he said, no, I just call everyone dude. And I said, no, you don't because you don't call Mary Ellen and you don't call Beth dude. You call them by their name. And he said, you know, he had some excuse that he's, you know, a hippie from back in the day and he just calls everyone dude and da, 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 da. And I said, okay, well, we're in a professional setting. So your job is to know the people that you're talking to. So you should know my name. And I am a trans woman and it's super offensive that you keep calling me Jude and you're not taking the time to get to know my name. And obviously he was bothered by it because I had called him out on something and I made him uncomfortable and he didn't want to be uncomfortable. And I had a backup for all of his remarks when he was trying to argue to prove to me that he should be saying whatever he wanted to say. And I kept correcting him, right? Not everyone feels comfortable doing that. I feel most people are not comfortable doing that. Most people would feel more comfortable ending their membership and going somewhere else Mm -hmm. where they're not being called dude or being made to feel uncomfortable. So now we circle back to that revenue thing that you come back to, right? That we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Would you rather just create a space where people feel comfortable or possibly drive people out because of a single word being used that could easily be changed. Totally. I think the situation that you just described um, is unique in that, and not, not to say that it's rare, it's unique in to say that if somebody in the room, which did happen said, Hey, please don't refer to me as, as guys. We stopped doing it that day because we knew that it was making somebody uncomfortable. And so you make a good point that we just don't need to right. do it at all. In that person's situation, I would ask you, your first instinct there was, are you calling me dude because I look like a guy? Is, is that something that you believe is possible, your projection of what you believe people are thinking, or because of, because of your experiences in the past, or um, do you think that it's because he thought you looked like a, a guy? No, I'm very confident in the way I look, and I know that I'm feminine, and I know that no one's calling me out, but it's the most direct way to the question are Mm -hmm. you saying this because you think i'm a man you're using male um indicator for me so why are you doing that that's that's what i was calling out Mm -hmm. it wasn't anything about the way i look and like i said a lot of people aren't going to be comfortable saying that especially a trans person Mm -hmm. might not be comfortable saying that depending on where they are in their transition um and maybe they are comfortable it's just Something that doesn't need to be said. Well, I think you did did a reasonable thing by saying, hey, you can call me Chloe. That's my name. It would be great if you would just call me Chloe because you call her Mary Alice and you call her whatever her name is. Just call me Chloe. That would be great. I'd rather you do that. I don't think there's anything unreasonable about that. And I can certainly see – it's unfortunate, but I definitely see – people get their back up against the wall. Like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I call everybody dude. And except, well, except for those two people who are right there, who you call by their name all the time. Um, if he called them dude also, would you have taken offense to it? 
I still would have made my same point. I would have said exactly what I said. I just wouldn't have been able to use them as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I did my I did my research. I let this go on for a month. I collected data. I listened. Right. I paid attention. You know, and regardless, regardless if he's an old hippie dude, and that's just what he likes to say, you're being paid to provide a service, mm-hmm. right? I am essentially paying for your position. Part of my fees go to your position at this place. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to give you my money if you are making me uncomfortable. So I'm going to have that conversation. And if you or the people above you don't want to address that, then I know this isn't a safe place. Then I know this is a place that doesn't care about diversity or inclusion and I need to go elsewhere. And essentially that's what I did. Well, so I I had a conversation with a friend of mine who said to me, you know, basically I've been talking a lot lately about large bodied people in gyms for the reason Mm -hmm. that it's just, it's, it's simple to me. It makes sense to me. It's simple to me to be able to explain it. I've been around it my whole life. Uh, and I understand very simply how my errors were when I was in it and how I can speak from the mistakes that I've made in the past to help other people not make the same ones. I don't have the same experience around LGBTQ plus communities. And so I can't speak about it in the same way. And we've talked about, she has said to me, would you call somebody by whatever pronoun they're supposed to be? And my answer was, yeah, of course. Once they told me I want to be like, I actually go by this. I would do my best to refer to them as whatever it is that they told me they want to be referred to as. I think that it's, it's difficult for people who aren't in it all the time to understand how we're supposed to behave, what we're supposed to say, how we're supposed to describe a group of people. And I know that it's, it's easy to say, Oh, I'll describe her as Chloe because that's her name and that's what she likes to go by. But if I'm trying to describe 5,000 Chloe's, what do I call that group of people? It's, the sexiest group of people you've ever seen in your whole life. That's a long thing to say every time I bring it up. <laughs> it's a lot of words. You you know what I'm saying though? It's it's it becomes um No, I don't know what you're saying actually cuz I was cracking myself up. That's okay. Yeah. What are you talking about when you're what, when when, when are when, you generalizing? When, when, the trans community? The, the no, queer community? Frankly, I don't even know. I don't know what the difference is between a queer, a trans, a non-binary. I don't know what the difference is. I, I, I have well, no idea. You never idea. asked me that in the beginning of the podcast, which maybe you should have asked me all that. I could have been like, let's break this down. I guess I could have. I, I don't think... I didn't think it was important in terms of where I wanted this conversation to go to, to get that level of knowledge on it. But... Here we are. What's the difference? I still wanted to back up. What were you what were you trying to get at when you said five thousand yeah, well, clothes? Well, because when you like when you're asking questions about a type of person, a group of people, it's mm-hmm. it, you can say the wrong word in trying to get the right information with the exact appropriate intent and yeah. be thought of as somebody who is ignorant or somebody who is intolerant or somebody who's not looking to learn when it's exactly the opposite. We're just lacking the knowledge. Right. And I will say that for me personally, I try not to chastise people that I know are educating themselves. And I know that are trying because we all make mistakes. You've said some things I've corrected you. I get corrected all the time. 
granted not everyone thinks that way right and i know you were talking about um uh people the the woman you were talking to about uh larger people in the gym which i have never understood why people give people that are overweight or larger the larger community shit for being in the gym because that's where you're supposed to be mm-hmm. right like that's exactly well, where you're supposed to be i can explain that to you if, if you'd like but but it, it, it's not about them being in the gym it's about frankly them not being in the gym and blaming it on them for not being there when in reality the place is not conducive for them to show up and it's it's the yeah. it's the juxtaposition of yeah. not understanding the reason that they're not there is because you have no idea how to serve them so uh, it's, I thought there's so many things I thought of while you're talking and now I feel like we're off that subject, but I have to bring it back to this. So you have your online business. You talked about pronouns. Like we've kind of skipped over that whole conversation. Mm-hmm. You have online business, you have intake forms, right? People fill out a form when they come mm-hmm. into any gym, they have to fill out mm-hmm. their stats, their liability form. They have to write down their name, address, blah, blah, blah. Right at the top of that, right before name, you put, preferred pronouns and they can write in what their pronoun is. Then you have it there in black and white. There's no question. If you, if someone writes they, them, then you know, from the top down, all of your coaches know that that person is they, them or she, her, or he, him. So how, how, how much leniency is there for, and by the way, that's a great tactical tip. It's the same thing Athena said about the weight. She's like, you don't need to break out a scale and have them prove it. Just write, wait, Just write it down. and then it's done. Right um, yeah. yep. but, and, and so that's, again, simple. If, if somebody said, I want to be referred to as they, my reality is, okay, that's the first they I've ever met. And I'm mm-hmm. probably going to fuck this up a few times, despite my best efforts. How much leniency does somebody get in not knowing? I wouldn't even know how to use they in a sentence. I mean, obviously I could figure it out. I'm not, it, you do. I do. I do. I you do. need to rethink what you just said. I do. I'm back. I'll back it up. You've I'll back been it up. Let, using it. You've me, been using it. Let me it. back it up. Let me back it up. Let me back it up. I'm going to back it up a few seconds here. I would, I would likely make the mistake often in the beginning when I would say something like, Oh yeah, you know, John and Mary, he and she were doing this and this. And then they, about the third person instead of he, it just, it's not in the grammar that we learned growing up. So it doesn't, I'm interrupting you. I'm interrupting you. Back it up, back it up. You already gave yourself leniency to make the mistake. No, I'm not giving myself leniency. I'm, I'm, you did, you said it, you said that you would not get it right. Cause you it, said that you would mess it up. I'm a realist. Don't think that way. Don't think that way. They say that mm-hmm. they prefer they, them, Thank you for letting me know that you prefer they, them. I will use they, them when I refer to you. So right there, you just said it mm-hmm. two sets of times, right? right. It was very clear because you acknowledged, you told them what they were going to do or what you were going to do. Mm-hmm. You have to actively practice. You just actively practice and, and you will slip up. Don't make a big deal out of it. If you slip up, you correct yourself and you move on because mm-hmm. making a big deal out of it will try. You will be trying to make yourself feel better, but you're going to make that person probably feel real uncomfortable. I remember the moment about it. Yeah. yeah the the moment, like the moment that I realized, <clears throat> Oh shit, the words I use matter. I mm-hmm. was in Manhattan 
in 2005 getting my official personal training certification. And I was staying with my cousin who is a gay man. Mm -hmm. And there was this really hot chick in my, I can say that right. In my hot chick. Yes. I mean, you're not talking about me. I would have figured you were talking about me. No, no. Um, in my, in my class. And she came out of the club that we were going into. And I said to my cousin, I'm like, did you see the guy she was with? I'm like, he, he like looks so gay. I'm like, fuck. That's, I just said that in a derogatory way to my cousin who is gay. And I never realized that it was the wrong thing to say. And that was the first time that I ever realized that that is not appropriate. Uh-huh. And I apologized uh-huh. to him. And he gave me the latitude. And I've never used that word in that way again. Similarly speaking, growing up, retarded was a word that I would use for something that was just dumb or something that didn't make any sense. I married a special ed teacher. When we started dating in college, it was like, oh, that's how I get myself kicked in the balls. I'm going to not do that anymore. That's inappropriate. So I'm with you. It would be something that I certainly could learn, something something that I, I certainly could get good at. It just... I, I'm a realist and it wouldn't happen the first time. That's all I'm speaking to. I, I, as a human being, I just feel like you're setting yourself up to not succeed by making that statement. If you were just had some gumption behind it and said, I'm going to get this right. You might surprise yourself. You're, you're right. I had, let me like, for an example for me is my friend Kiana she is black. And I said something. Chucky? I had said a phrase. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I had said something, and she said, that is, you're, that's not appropriate to say. And I said, okay, this is what I meant by it. And she said, okay, it's still not appropriate to say. <laughs> this is what you could have said. And I, I'm comfortable having the conversation. So I said, all right, so go down that rabbit hole so I can kind of get it. And she explained it and I was very, very upfront. And I said, I don't fully understand what you're saying, but what I do know is that you said that it was not appropriate for me to say that. So I will not say that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I stopped saying it. And I was actually doing a podcast with another cisgender white man. And he said the thing that she told me not to say. And I was able to share that with him. Right. But for me, my process that worked was I asked, we discussed, I acknowledged, and then I made a commitment that I wasn't going to say it. It's just like making a commitment that you're not going to pick up a fucking cigarette if you're quitting smoking. You're right. It's not unreasonable. And, and, and what, I, what I would add to that is I think it's refreshing every time that somebody has the opportunity to make a mistake like you did with Kiana, have her correct you, have you not be offended by getting corrected, ask for clarity, be given the space to be educated on the clarity, and then be able to reconcile in your brain, this is how I'm supposed to do it. I, right. I, I mean, and let me be clear, in that moment, I was taken aback, I got real real red, started sweating, like, like, why did I say it? Like, how did I not know that I shouldn't say that? Like, am I not educated because I don't know this? Like all of those emotions went through my head, but I stopped myself from feeling attacked because it's not my place to feel attacked because I'm feeling someone's correcting me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I went through the emotional experience. I just dumbed it down for the original conversation, but I did go through the whole 
thing. I mean, and it's, it's the same way for pronouns and gender. If we normalize the conversation, it's yeah. not a weird conversation. No. And that's why I wanted you to come on today. Cause I, I want to be able to normalize this conversation. I, I, I would love to be able to surround myself with people who I can ask these questions to on a regular basis who have life experience in the other side of the question, as opposed to people who think that they have awareness without having the experience. Right. And is this recorded for people to see, or are they just listening? They'll be able to see it. Oh, okay. So for me, my lived experience is I fit in a very binary world. And even though I am trans, I am very, I would consider myself very feminine, a very mm-hmm. feminine trans woman. Yes. I fall on the feminine side of the scale. So my lived experience, I have no idea what it's like to not be on the far end of the feminine scale. I mean, there's definitely more feminine than me, but I feel very feminine. Um, So I don't have that same experience. So even within my own community, I still have to ask questions. I still have to be educated. And it's that constant turning and learning cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, we have trans people, our um, non-binary people on our board that moved from being non-binary to considering themselves a trans male. And that was a great learning experience for me because I was able to ask questions along the way because we had a relationship where we could, right? So everything I'm saying, I love to say this, is just from my own lived experience. Well, you but, know, but I just That's all we can speak from, right? Otherwise, yeah. we're speaking on behalf of somebody else whose opinions might have changed by now. Or yep. we're speaking on behalf of a group of people who don't all think the same just because they look and have one thing in common. Love that too. So I want to move to uh, one last question, and you started to touch on it, but not in the way that I want to ask about it. Amy Mandelbaum is a friend of mine. She's the vice president, I believe of the op foundation or of the board Mm -hmm. of the op foundation. And she's a straight woman, right? She sure is. Right. So when I told people that I was going to be interviewing you and I told multiple people, because I've asked multiple people, please help me get somebody who can speak on behalf of the LGBTQ plus community from their own experience. uh, Cause it was so difficult for me to get somebody. She was the one who came through and when I've told people I was going to interview you and I told them that Amy connected me and how does Amy know or else she's the vice president, I got a fair amount of, that's ridiculous. Why would there be a straight woman on the board of the Out Foundation? Uh-huh. To which my answer, and I'm curious as to your thoughts, are how are we supposed to run inclusive gyms and inclusive places and then exclude people from having influence on how we do it? And I'm curious as to your take on how a straight woman fits on the board of the Al Foundation? I mean, that's a very easy answer. She's an ally. And what allies do to help marginalized communities is they speak out and put things into action because the marginalized community will not get anywhere without their ally co- cohorts, cohort, co-parts. Mm-hmm. Can you, can, can you describe Sorry. why? Why is that the case? And, and I'm, as, I'm asking you this because... Um, I would like to consider myself an ally to anybody who feels bullied by society, who feels marginalized by any other group, um, because I would, well, maybe not anybody. I'm not going to stand up for, you know, terrorist organizations, but you follow, you follow what I'm, Mm. what I'm describing there. Um, 
Are you I, speaking like you're saying marginalized communities? Yeah, you would stick up. Yeah, for like, anyone like in a marginalized anybody. community and, and, or and, oppressed community. And you don't even have to be in a an oppressed or marginalized community if you feel a certain way and somebody else knows that you feel that way and they continue making you f- or doing the actions that lead you to feeling that way. I would be happy to stand up for the person who is feeling minimized, not marginalized in that situation, but minimized in that situation. So I would consider myself, um, an ally, perhaps less vigilantly than somebody like Amy. And I'm curious as to the importance of the level of vigilance that somebody like myself and other people who feel the way that I do, carry themselves you if you consider yourself an ally you have to put stuff into action i mean that's what i was saying it's being an ally is an action word and that's why i gave the example not why but for the example i gave earlier about the conversations around blackness right or someone using the word ratchet and me as a white person explaining now to another white person why you can't use the word ratchet why it's inappropriate and go you know go back um, you have to carry the movement forward because that community is marginalized. So for the community to get recognized, whatever community it is, they need more numbers for representation. And since they are marginalized, they are generally smaller. So we need all of those allies to make us bigger, to make our voices louder. So what you're describing then would be that my responsibility, if I want to be considered an ally to the community, would be somebody says, Oh, that, that trans person would be actually, I learned that that's the wrong way to describe somebody. They're not a trans. That's a transgender woman or a transgender man, not a trans. And that would Mm -hmm. be my responsibility and the thing that I could do to be supportive of a community that requires more mouths spreading the word. Is that, is that what I'm understanding? Yes. Yes. If you heard that happen, you're now responsible for stepping in and educating that person with like whatever knowledge you have. So Amy is so valuable to our board because she is an ally and we get a different spin on things because she is an ally. So we can understand sometimes maybe how the outside sees us looking in. Mm -hmm. Right. And Amy's really good at asking questions or Amy's really good at saying, you know, I didn't, Amy has, spoken to me numerous times. She is like one of my best friends, if not my top best friend. We've had many candid conversations about how she feels being on the board as an ally. And I have been lucky enough over the last, I think, three years um, to see her grow into that position. Because when her and I started, neither one of us was president or vice president. And we got voted by the rest of the board into those positions. So, you know, this gaggle of people believed in us and believed that we should be in those positions. And it's been amazing to watch her grow from does my voice really matter to yes, my voice does matter because my voice does something differently than your voice does. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So she can just help carry the message in a bit of a different way that we can't. I don't really have a follow-up because I think it makes perfect sense to have her on the board. I just wanted to hear yeah, you. Yeah, I, just want, I, do too, I just wanted to hear She's freaking great. She's well, freaking great. You know, I, I think it's the uh, – today, as, as we do this interview in the beginning of September 2021, it's, it's kind of a – speaking from my own personal lived experience, you can feel damned if you do, damned if you don't on a lot of things. And, and it's uh-huh. like I'm not 
a person who is going to stand up for things that I don't believe are important just for the sake of being the person who stands up for shit all the time. I am the person who will stand up for things that I do think are important to the degree that I am capable of articulating what I believe is valuable and why. Um, and it's, it's, it's an interesting line to walk on a regular basis where you want to say enough to be valuable and you don't want to say more than is within your scope to say or correct people who you're not really sure how to correct. You don't, I don't want to be vigilant all the time, like looking for reasons to correct people. Um, but I do it when I hear it and I'm aware of it in my own way. I don't mm. know. No, that was just a little bit of a rant, but it's, it's, I, go ahead. It's just an interesting place for me in my life. This is the first time I've ever felt this way in my life where it started with everything that happened with George Floyd last year. Right. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't break down and cry. Like I, I feel bad for what happened. And I, I had a lot of questions and I had a lot of conversations afterwards and I changed the way I do certain things afterwards. And then I learned about the marginalization of large body people and I'm learning about LGBTQ two plus uh, LGBTQ plus. And you almost got it. Cute. There's another one. I, I think it was a little out of order, but just LGBTQ like LGBTQ plus. Yeah. But I think it came out differently the second time. Yeah. It did. I, I, I got, go. I got, go. I got lost in numbers, going. Going. but, but it's, it's like, it's, 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 I don't want to sound at all like it doesn't matter because it does. It's a lot of work to do. It's a lot of mental work to do. And the question is how much of the energy do you spend on it? And what is the value of spending the energy on it? And where do you place the energy and how do you project what you've learned? And there's a lot of questions for people to be able to answer before they start doing anything. If that makes any sense. It does. It does. Because we, I agree. I think what you've said is that we can't make everyone happy at one time, essentially, is what I got out of some of that. And we can't. That's impossible. Um, But we can do little things. And I think those are the things that we have talked about. What are the little things that you can do to make people feel welcome without saying, calling them out and be like, you're queer, you're welcome. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, we have, I wish I had the numbers in my head. And unfortunately, I don't. But earlier you would ask me, like, what are some of the reasons or why do people feel that they're not accepted in fitness spaces? Why do queer people not feel accepted? We have some great stats because we sent out anonymous surveys to our followers and to our athletes because we have sponsored athletes every year that asked questions about that. And when we get done, I'm going to send that over to you. I don't know if you can like maybe put it in a little blurb blurb, but it's like pretty interesting stats about how many queer people feel bullied and feel not safe in spaces because of the way people react to them or interact with them or the things that say to them or the things they hear people saying about them. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a link for that, it would be very easy for us to drop the link for that in the show notes. And then we could, we could certainly share the, this, the, a visual of it on our Instagram and stuff like that. I always feel like there's, there's, there's a question to every answer and we could go on forever. A simple example I'm talking about is like somebody feels a certain way when they walk into a place. Is that a, is that a representation of how the place is acting or a representation of the person's preconceived notions before they walk in? And there's probably oftentimes some of both, Both. right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's stuff like that is always super fascinating to me to talk to people in depth about 
where their beliefs come from and, and why their feelings are what their feelings are. I always find that worth talking about. Yeah. I mean, that's a deep, a big rabbit hole you know, yeah, that yeah. we can go down. Um, but yeah. And then I can send you the link too for the website. Cause you would ask like what yep. we do and we have a whole page on inclusion and all the things we offer. And we, we have a glossary of terms. So people, you know, the most often used terms so people can go right to that, click on that word and see what it means so that they understand a little bit better. Um, we offer quite a lot. I believe so that. I'll send you that link too. I haven't looked at your page yet. I will. Um, my two cents as a, as, as a non board member are mm-hmm. show people the financial ROI of doing the right thing above mm-hmm. morality. And we might get more morality out of people. Okay. Just my thought. Noted. Thanks. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think would be valuable to add to this podcast before we wrap it up, Chloe? I don't think so. I feel like we just covered so much. We did. And we could have gone on for two more hours, but we'll leave, we'll leave, we'll leave, we'll leave wanting more. Yeah. Cute. Like it. All right. Where, where can people find you specifically, Chloe? Me specifically. I'm in only one place and that's on the Instagram. Okay. And that's my name, Chloe Johnson, which I'm sure you'll have that spelled out for people, right? Yes. We'll put it in the notes. Yeah. And, and then our found our foundation, theoutfoundation.org. Perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm, thank you. Active lifers, I have a favor to ask you. If you enjoyed the show, we pride ourselves on bringing value to you through the lens of bridging the gap between fitness and healthcare. The best way for you to support this podcast is by reviewing this episode wherever you listen. Please give us a five star review and share this episode with a friend. Your support helps so much. Send a screenshot of your review to us on our Instagram account at ActiveLifeRx. As a thank you, we'll gift you a special PDF with the most common mistakes made when working out and how to correct them. 